Okay, we are, we are looking now at uh, Matthew chapter 2. Because the next thing that happens in the life of Jesus as we're going through the life of the Messiah is his, his uh, or the, the, the Magi meeting him. So we had talked about how the shepherds came and the shepherds came immediately after his birth uh, because it says that there was born that day in the city of David. Um, and, and so the shepherds came immediately after his birth. Uh, and then he was brought into the temple. After, he was brought for circumcision after eight days. We saw that. And then after 40 days for his dedication and, and Mary's purification. And during that same event, we, we uh, saw the interaction between he and Simeon and also Anna, who was of the tribe of Asher. So now we're, we're, looking, <clears throat> we're looking in Matthew because this next portion of Jesus' life is reported in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. And this is the visit from the Magi. Now after Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born, and they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will, be, who, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, and until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And they saw the star, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi leapt for their own country by another way. Okay, so now you see that Magi are coming. And this is going to destroy some of the things that, that we hold dear to us that are traditions but not truth. Uh, so it says that, that uh, after he was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. So Herod is still king over that, that area. So still Caesar Augustus is king over all the Roman Empire. Herod was over that portion of Israel. Uh, a large portion of that portion of Israel. He was called King Herod. He had made that request to be called king several years earlier uh, uh, from Caesar, and he was granted that. Later on, when one of his sons, after this King Herod dies, one of his sons makes that same request of, uh, of, of the this, this Caesar at that time, it is not granted, and in fact he loses his kingdom as a result of even making such a request. Uh, so, so, Herod was, was king. It says, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So, Magi are not kings. So, the song, We Three Kings, they are not kings. Magi were wise men, and specifically, they were astrologers. So, in that time, astrologers, astrology, which was trying to figure out the, the times 
and events through the study of stars and astronomy, the actual scientific study of stars, were one and the same. The people did both of them. So the astronomers were also astrologers. And it says that, that Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. And this from the east means not China, but Mesopotamia and probably Babylon. That is often referred to as the east. So these men were probably from Babylon. They were astrologers slash astronomers from Babylon. They were not kings. And it says that uh, uh, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So um, it is not one. It is, it is more than one. It is not necessarily three. There's three kings. We have no idea whether it was three or whether it was two. All we know it was more than one. It may have been 10,000. We don't know how many there were. But it was probably more than a very small number because of what's going to happen. It says, where, they say, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, so, if three men happened to show up in a city and to say, where's the king? We saw his star in the east. What would you think? You'd think these are kooks. All right. I mean, why would King Herod care? Why would he care? Unless there was something about these men that it wasn't just three, but it was some entourage. And they came with, with, with such a presence. So, for example, when, when one person makes a proclamation that, you know, uh, something that is just passed, this, this May 21st is going to be the end of the world. I mean, not too many people put a lot of credibility on this thing because one person is proclaiming they figured this out. But what if, what if 50 professors from, say, the top technical university, say, MIT, 50 professors from MIT all say, that there is going to be a massive earthquake on a certain date. That their work is showing this, and this is confirmed not just by professors from MIT, but then you get professors from, from Princeton and Cornell and, and Caltech, and all over the world they start saying the same thing. You would take it quite seriously, right? If they say that their results are showing and they, their devices are showing, there is going to be a massive earthquake that is going to hit at a certain time. You take it quite seriously. Well, there was a presence of, of men that had shown up that were trained as scholars in both astrology and astronomy that were saying this so much so that Herod, the word gets back to the king, and he's deeply troubled, as is all of Jerusalem. So the whole city is concerned about this thing. So these were men of some level of legitimacy. You're not just going to have three kooks walking up because, I'll tell you, there are kooks in every city. Every city has them. But there are more kooky folks in Israel than in any other place I know and more in Jerusalem than any other place I know. It seems that they congregate there because that, that turns out to be somewhat of the center of attraction for these sorts of people. And you see the, them on the corners and doing all sorts of strange things. It has a way of attracting people like that. But these people were so different, with such a high level of credibility, that Herod becomes concerned. 
and all of Jerusalem, it says, it says in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So this is stirring up everybody. So in other words, it wasn't just, you know, three lowly men. It was probably some group, 50 men. We don't know, however many. With a whole entourage with them that proclaims their credibility. That Look, they've got camels, they've got horses, they've got all sorts of stuff that says these are important folks. They have credentials. You see what I mean? Does this shake up a little bit the, the, the impression that you might have had about what's happening here? I mean, to stir up an entire city? You're not just going to have one or two kooky folks. I mean, every city has, has strange people. But this is some level of legitimacy now. And they come to Jerusalem. They said that, that we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Very strange thing. So they saw a star. They equated that star with a king being born. They equated the star with a king being born and they wanted to worship him. So you have to ask, you, you know, there, there are several questions here that, that, are, that are, are really, really quite, quite interesting that, that you, you'd have to ask. Who were the Magi? So they were, they were, they were men that, that studied astronomy and astrology. And they were quite learned men. They're coming from Babylon. Uh, so where are they from? They're from Babylon. How did they know that Jesus is born? Well, they say they know it because of a star. So how does that, what does that mean? And, so, and if a king is born, you have to ask the question, why should they care? You know how many kings had been born in Israel and there were no men from Babylon coming even to acknowledge and say hello, let alone coming to worship him? Why should men, learned scholars from Babylon, come to worship a boy king in Israel of all places? These are, these are strange things. Why should they care? I mean, people all over the world, Jews had kings born. and In fact, Israel was under... Caesar Augustus at that time, and under Caesar Augustus was King Herod. Why not come and worship Caesar Augustus? Go to Rome and worship him. Or if you want to do it in Israel, why not come and worship Herod? He probably would have liked it. Why worship this boy king? So, it turns out that, that if, if we think about what's happening here, how would they have known anything about what was happening? Well, if you go back to... to uh, Numbers chapter 24, the book of Numbers chapter 24. So, this is, this is like the fourth book of the Bible. There happens to be a prophet from Babylon. And the prophet's name was Balaam. Balaam the prophet from Babylon. And Balaam made several prophecies concerning the Messiah. And it said, whatever he said, happened. And because of that, the Israelites are coming into the land. They're passing through the land of Moab. The king of Moab hires Balaam, sends to Babylon, hires Balaam to come and to curse the children of Israel. Because he knows that if Balaam curses the children of Israel, they'll be cursed and then he can overcome them in battle. So he pays Balaam, Balaam goes, and God takes over his mouth, and time after time he tries to curse the children of Israel, he cannot. He blesses them, he blesses them, he blesses them. 
And one of the things that he proclaims about them, he makes several Messianic prophecies, but in, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth. So he makes a proclamation <clears throat> that one is going to come far distant in the future from the time that Balaam is speaking. Balaam is a prophet from this same school in Babylon. Balaam is a prophet. Balaam was an astrologer. From the same school of Babylon, he makes a prophecy. So this has been passed down <clears throat> through this school in Babylon. In fact, records tell us that the Babylonians were some of the very best at retaining history. So this has been passed down. So this prophecy that one of their greatest scholars had made, that a star is going to come forth from Jacob, they recognized it as this star. Well, there was another person who spoke in Babylon. Remember, after the destruction, Nebuchadnezzar had the temple destroyed, he took many young men to Babylon. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego being among them. And one day, he was going to kill all the astrologers, all the magi, all the wise men in Babylon, because he had a dream. And he said, you have to tell me the dream, not just the interpretation. Either he had forgotten what he had dreamt and he needed to be reminded, which happens sometimes to us. We have a very vivid dream, but we can't remember what it was. Or he remembered the dream, but he wanted to make sure that their interpretation would be correct. So he said, if you can give me the interpretation, then tell me the dream. So we're not sure which position it was, but in other words, he was going to kill all the wise men in Babylon. And who, did he, who came in to save the day? So here, here we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Daniel is the only one who can interpret this dream. And when he interprets it, whose lives are saved as a result of Daniel's interpretation of the dream? Not just Daniel's life, but who else? All the wise men were saved. They were all going to be killed, right? All of them were going to be killed as a result of this. But Daniel saves the day. Now, if the book of Daniel was written not in Israel, but it was written in Babylon. What, what is Daniel, what position is Daniel promoted to in Babylon when he saves the day? He is made head over all the wise men. He is made president of the Magi Institute of, of Astrology and Astronomy. So here, Daniel is made president, and Daniel prophesies some things. In fact, Half of the book of Daniel is not even written in Hebrew. It's written in Aramaic, which was the language of Babylon at the time. And he writes about, in, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he prophesies when the Messiah would make his appearance. When the Messiah would make his first appearance. He prophesies very specifically. And he prophesies this starting from the proclamation, a proclamation would be made for the rebuilding of, of the, the uh, temple in Jerusalem. And he says, from the date of that proclamation, there's going to be this much time before Messiah comes. That prophecy, there were three proclamations for the rebuilding of the temple. There was one by Cyrus, one by Darius, one by Cyrus the Persian king, one by Darius the Persian king, and one by Artaxerxes the Persian king. If you take it from the third proclamation, which was from the time of Artaxerxes, you could look precisely and know when the Messiah was coming. 
So they had the book of Daniel by one of their former presidents who had prophesied when it was going to come. They had the star that was prophesied by one of their greatest prophets, Balaam, that it would come with a star. So this can begin to tell us why they would even care. Because these were wise men from Babylon that would would have some interest in this, knowing that this is the one that is going to be raised up, that is going to end up the defeat of all other people. This is why they've come to worship him. Now, it took them some, some time to figure all this out and to synthesize it together. Once they saw this star, they have to look through the writings of Daniel because now what happens is Herod is going to find out about this. And what does he do? He goes and he has every boy in that city killed from two years old and younger. Well, why from two years old? Because Jesus is no longer 40 days old here. This is some time, probably a year and a half, a year, a year and a half, or two years after his birth. Remember where they were staying? Where did, where did the shepherds come to see Jesus? Yeah, in, in, in the stable. But they're not in the stable anymore, because look what it says in, in verse, uh, verse 11. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. So they came into the house. So by this time, they're living in a house. Some time has transpired. The Magi and the shepherds never saw each other. They never overlapped. So when we have our little nativity scenes, this is just make-believe. They never overlapped. They were separated by up to two years. At least a year. Because if, if, if... if Herod wants to make sure that he's going to kill the boy king, what does he do? He says, kill every boy two years old and younger. So maybe he buffered it a bit to give it an extra year. And then everyone under a year. But this is some time afterward. And it takes about four months to walk from Babylon to Jerusalem. And we know that because Ezra, in the book of Ezra, it, it said that he made the journey very quickly from Babylon to Jerusalem, and it took him four months. If you think about that, here you, you're from Iraq, you've got to walk to Jerusalem. I mean, that's a long walk. So that took them a series of months, and so they, st- they see this star, and they start looking through the books, because these are astrologers slash astronomers, and so the star means something to them. To, to us, it doesn't mean anything. To them, they knew the sky very well. And they had to put all this together, and they come. And so this, these are credible folks. All, Herod is really troubled by all of this because these people are speaking with some real level of credibility here. They don't just say, you know, we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. That's what's reported here. But there has to be a lot of expl- explanation. You know, they're going to appear before Herod and Herod says, tell me, what's going on here? Oh, we star, saw his star in the east so we've come to worship him. Oh, I accept that. That makes perfect sense. No, they probably went into some detail. We have these writings. We have these writings here from this prophet Daniel who lived in Babylon, who you also respect here in Jerusalem. Here we have these writings from Balaam, who you have in your own scriptures. Probably a lot went on here. And so they show up in Jerusalem. Well, Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. Why would they show up in Jerusalem? So remember, this star was shining in the east, so they walk east. Jerusalem makes sense. You would go to Jerusalem. This is the capital city. So if the the king of the Jews is born, you'd think he'd be born in Jerusalem. 
They never had the book of Micah. They never had that book. And so they go to Jerusalem. They say, where is he? He's supposed to be here. So in verse 4, it says, Herod gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. I mean, this meant a lot to Herod. He didn't just, you know, you know, grab some Orthodox Jew off the streets. He gathered together all the chief priests and scribes, all those who really knew the law of Moses, all those who really studied Scripture. He gathered them all. It says he gathered all of them together. He was really taken by this. Now, why would Herod be so taken? Do you think because he wants to worship Jesus? No. Herod, Herod is called... Uh, uh, Herod the Great or King Herod. He's really Herod the Paranoid. Josephus writes a lot about Herod. Herod was so paranoid about his kingdom, he had a, a, a wife, Mariamne, who was his favorite wife. One day he suspects her of, of, um, of, of planning to have his kingdom overthrown, and he has her killed. He had four of his sons killed, thinking that they were going to overthrow him at some point. So he was very suspicious really paranoid of his throne, four of his sons. In fact, uh, um, Caesar Augustus made a comment that's written by Josephus concerning King Herod because Herod had become nominally a Jew. Nominally a Jew meaning, and so he didn't eat pork. So So Caesar Augustus said, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Uh, and, and, and so you, you can see that this guy was really crazy. Now, he, he was the one who had the whole top of the mountain of, of Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, the old city now, it's not the highest mountain. There, there are other higher peaks around there. You'd think, I thought, you know, they went up to this mountain peak and that's where Abraham was going to offer up Isaac. And yes, it's at that place, but the peak of the mountain is no longer there. He had the whole top of the mountain chopped off and made flat and he built up the city of, of Jerusalem. And he, had, and he rebuilt the, the temple. It's Herod's temple. It's called Herod's temple. It was a really grand temple that he had built there. And that started long before Jesus' birth and ended after Herod's death. It ended in about 40 A.D. It, it wasn't completed until about 40 A.D. But the whole top of the mountain there is flat. Uh, and, and King Herod flattened it off. We do that today. If you go to like... Uh, um, Places of West Virginia, for example, you see an airport on top of a mountain. What they do? They come with these bulldozers and they just bulldoze off the top of the mountain and make it flat. Uh, but they did that without bulldozers in those days. They just used a lot of slaves and they did those sort of things. So he was really a great man in that sense, but quite paranoid. So he calls together all the priests and he says, where, where is this, where is this, uh, uh, this Messiah to be born? Where, where's the Messiah? It says, Where's the Messiah to be born? And it says, They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what's written by the prophet. So they're quoting now from the book of Micah. And it says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means among the, are, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now the Magi didn't know this. They didn't have this book. They had the quotations from Balaam, they had the book of Daniel. So they show up in Jerusalem, which is exactly where you would expect it, and they're, where's the king? Because they had seen the star from when they were in Babylon, and that star indicated to them that, that something was happening, that this king had come. So they show up there, and the scholars tell them, oh, there used to be born in Bethlehem, and now there's a Bethlehem in Galilee in the north, 
but it says specifically Bethlehem of Judah. Now, Bethlehem of Judah is about five miles south of Jerusalem. So you could easily walk there, you know, in several hours' walk. So, so say, three hours' walk or something, you're there. So it's not far, Bethlehem, from, from Jerusalem. So they, they hear this, and then Herod calls them secretly in verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. He wanted to know exactly when did you see the star. It is based on that exact time that Herod says, ultimately, kill every kid two years old and younger. Every male two years old and younger. So presuming since he's paranoid, he's going to buffer this a bit by six months or a year. Jesus is at least a year old now. Maybe more, maybe a year and a half. So his parents had never gone back to Nazareth. They came down because of the census. Now remember, for them to come down must mean that they had their lineage from there. And because they were offspring, they were descendants of David, they had a plot of land there. Land wasn't transferred unless people became very desperate. But what happens is, so a man was given land. He has sons. It's divided between his sons, the oldest son getting the most. And then each one of those sons has sons. So that after... 20 generations, you get something that, you, you know, the size of a postage stamp for a lot, or the size of a, you know, the lots here in, in, in Bel Air. I mean, a t- tiny little plot of land from what was a much larger plot. But still, he, he had some ownership there. Both he, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, that was Jesus' um, presumed father, Joseph, had some land there. So, in other words, so... Um, Herod secretly called them, and he determined in verse 7 the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. So that's a lie. A lot of people lie. You know, so the Bible is full of people who are telling lies. The guy lied. I, yeah, I want to come and worship him too. No, he wanted to come and kill him. He says, so you go find out. Go look for him. Verse 9, and after hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it stood over the place where the child was. So this cannot be a literal star, because a little star doesn't do this, but it was some bright light that was indicative to them. So now it had gone out, but now it reappears as they start walking south, and that confirms to them that indeed he's there in Bethlehem. And they didn't have to go looking around. You know, there must have been a lot of little boys in Bethlehem. They didn't have to look around or ask them. It came and it's hovering right over the house where Jesus is. And they rejoiced because all of a sudden, so the the star had appeared uh, when they were in in the east, had appeared to them. So it's moving now from east to west as they go across. Now it's moving from north to south. And it stands right over the house where they're supposed to go. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, because everything's confirmed now. Verse 11, And after coming into the house, no longer a stable, but the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, they fell to the ground, and they worshipped him. This is the first indication of worship of Jesus. The shepherds, it said they went and they told the stories, and they went back glorifying God. Uh, Simeon, was glorifying God, but we don't see him falling on the ground and worshipping this, this boy. Anna was telling everybody about this boy. 
but we don't see her worshipping him. The first people that we see worshipping Jesus were not Jews, but Gentiles. This is the first worship of Jesus, not by the Jews, but by Gentiles. This is Gentile worship of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Remember what we said, that God was going to start opening this up to the Gentiles. The first understanding, the depth of understanding, that this boy is to be worshipped, came from the Gentiles. They had the understanding. They're the ones that had the perception. And so they worship this child. And we don't see that Joseph is here. You know, always in the nativity scenes, you know, there's Joseph is right there too. There's no indication that Joseph... Joseph was there for the shepherds. But here with the Magi, maybe he was there, maybe he wasn't, but he's not indicated. And remember, Matthew follows the story generally through Joseph. Whereas Luke follows the story through Mary. But we don't see Joseph here. So after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the gold, speaks, the gold speaks of this kingship. The frankincense speaks of this deity. And the myrrh was, was used when someone died. Uh, so these, these expensive spices. The frankincense for kingship. Uh, I'm sorry, for deity. And the myrrh for death. And then having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So here they worship. They give gifts. And then they're warned by God in a dream. So maybe, you know, they're kind of tired. They had gone to Jerusalem. All this ruckus started. They walk on down another five miles. They worship this child. And then in a dream. So they're probably, you know, going to sleep there in, in, in Bethlehem that night. And in a dream, they're warned by God, don't go back to Herod and tell him about this child. And so they went back another way. You know what they just did? They broke the law. The law of that land said, the king had commanded them, you come back and you tell me. Well, that shows us that God supersedes all of this. That there's a superseding of God in this. When it comes to the protection of human life, we go by what God says. Even if the law of the land allows something to happen, no, we go by the laws of God when it comes to the protection of human life. The, the, the times in the scriptures where we see disobedience to the laws of the land, it comes in the protection, the immediate protection of human life. It comes in acceptance of the gospel, to accept the gospel, even when, when the law said, you know, when the leaders of Israel said, you know, don't follow this guy. And it comes in preaching the gospel. Remember they were warned in the book of Acts, do not preach this word. They said, we have to obey God rather than man. Those are the three times that we are spoken to in the scriptures that we are to disobey the laws of the land if it conflicts with the laws of God. It's the imminent protection of the human life. It is accepting the Lord and it is preaching the gospel. We have a higher law when it comes to this. So they, they leave and now in verse 13, now when, when they had gone, behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So you see that this must be happening now very quickly. The, 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 uh, uh, the Magi have a dream, boom, they leave town by another way. They don't go back to Herod. They don't know that Herod's about to kill this kid. 
They're not informed of that. They just go another way. This probably the same night, God speaks in a dream to Joseph and says, you take the child and his mother, and, and it's interesting, he says, take the child and his mother. He doesn't say, take your child, because it's not Joseph's child. He says, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So he hears this at night. God is speaking to him in a dream. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and fled to Egypt. He's getting out of there right away. You think that, that oh, you, you know, my life is so rough. I mean, I have to move out of this apartment. This is so, God doesn't care about me. You've only had, you know, six weeks to know that you had to get out of the apartment. I mean, this guy has to take his wife and his child, and, and, and all of you folks here are single. You just wait until you're married with a child, and the amount of stuff that increases. You can't just, you know, throw your book bag on your back and, and, and ride on out of there on your bicycle. I mean, all of a sudden you become supply sergeants, and there's all this stuff that you've got to do and deal with. And this is what Joseph, he's like, we just got set up in this house. We've only been staying here a year. I just got all the pictures hung and everything. God says, you, you go now, this night. Take the child and his mother. You know, I'm sure Mary wasn't too excited about this thing, but the command was, take the child and his mother. This is not, well, Mary, let me explain this to you. Let's come to an agreement here. No, he says, just take them and go. And, and he had to do that. You know, this was an emergency, and he took them and, and he went, and they could sort this out on their walk to Egypt. But right now, you know, I'm sure Mary wasn't really excited about this. And, you know, little kids, they don't care. You know, they're getting carried. It's no problem for them, but it's, it's, it's a big problem for a young mother. And so she's being dragged out of this home by her husband. And it says, so Joseph got up, took his child, and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what has been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So, so, he goes, so um, he takes off, and he says, well, how does this poor family who could only afford turtle doves now afford this flight to Egypt? They couldn't even afford to go back to Nazareth after they had gotten down to, to Bethlehem. Well, now he's got a bunch of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so now they have plenty to live on, on the trek to Egypt, which was not cheap. It's not cheap to travel today. You go to another country traveling. Not cheap. And especially go move to another country. It's not cheap. And these people had to go at a moment's notice. You know, didn't have time to get everything set up, get, get the best deal on food to pack up and go. They had to buy food along the way. You know, food along the way is expensive. And uh, uh, they had to do this. And the dangers of the night and all of these things. This is not easy for just a man and his wife and his little child to all of a sudden in the middle of the night be walking across. You try to walk from Bethlehem to Egypt now in the middle of the night and go across this 40-day journey into Egypt. It's dangerous. It was dangerous back then. But this is what they were called to do. Life is not automatically easy if you're obeying God. You would think, oh, if I'm obeying God, it wouldn't be so hard. No, this was hard. This is scary. This is upsetting. And all of a sudden, they go to Egypt. Do they speak Egyptian? No. They're Hebrews. 
And the Egyptians never liked the Hebrews, but they had to live in this environment. This is difficult. Life is filled with difficulties and problems. And you can be very much walking with God and lose your job and have to move to another city and all these things going on in your life. This is part of Christian life. This is part of walking with God. You cannot have been, you could not have been more in the will of God than these people were at this moment, at this time. And God didn't, you know, just send some horses for them to ride on. He could have sent some angels and on angels' wings. He just picked them up and they landed in a palace in Egypt. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. It's rough. Life is full of this type of thing and it doesn't mean that God hates you. No, it means He loves you. Because He's treating you just like He did. Mary and Joseph and Jesus, His Son. And they go and then Herod, you know, sends these people in to kill Every child that's two years old and younger. And you see, all of this stuff is taking place very rapidly. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God, for teaching us, for informing us. Lord, thank you because there are things we go through in life that aren't easy, yet you see us through. By your mercies and by your grace, you see us through. Father, thank You for Your mercies on us. Lord, I pray for these young people that as they go through changes in, in their lives and that it is clear that You still love them. Father, thank You for Your protection and Your great mercies. Father, I pray Your grace be on these young people. Draw them close to Jesus. Father, I thank You in Your name. Amen.